following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. Today, I am going to have you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and I'll be reading from verse 26 in just a moment. As they serve you today, you are aware, for those of you that have been with us, this is our seventh week in a conversation that we've been having in regard to the culture of our church. We've committed the last couple of months to talk about those things that make North Place uniquely North Place, those things that make us us. Each of the weeks, each of those seven weeks, I've focused on one of the key ingredients that makes up a part of the culture of this church. We talked about our commitment to be generous people. We've talked about our commitment to live lives of courageous faith. We've talked about our commitment to be a biblically balanced church in a world of radical extremes. We have talked about our commitment to be missionally focused. Where a lot of churches are internally focused, we have committed to stay an outwardly focused church, both in the shadow of our own steeple, but yet also around the globe. And then last week we talked about our commitment to do less better, to simplify in a world of complexity. And if you've missed a part or all of this series, uh, I really want to encourage you, you can go to the resources tab of our church website, northplacechurch.com, and you can go back and watch all of these messages or any of the last 10 years that are there in that archive. I want to do something unique tonight. Uh, We have the privilege of welcoming into our service several hundred men who are gathered for a Christmas service in the chapel of Hughes Prison Unit in Gatesville, Texas. And uh, they get to come together on this day, and there are fewer seats than there are men who want to get in to this Christmas chapel. And those in authority have given us the privilege to broadcast this service into that special place today. And just so that they know Uh, I would love for you to join me in welcoming the men of the Hughes unit in Gatesville, Texas. Would you join me in welcoming them, North Place, to our service today? Gentlemen, I'm going to talk to you specifically in just a moment, but I want you to listen carefully as we take a journey as a church because I believe the heart of our church today that we're going to talk about let you have some insight into why you are on our hearts and you are on the radar of these people. Let me begin in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. The key ingredient of the North Place culture that I want to talk to you about today is our commitment to serve forgotten people in forgotten places. For the last 94 years, this church has developed a heart for the underdog, the disenfranchised, the overlooked, the broken, and the hurting. Maybe this is because that is our own story. That's who we are. Or that's where we have come from. That's the testimony of our lives. 
We seem to really identify as a church family with the struggles of the underdog. And so much of how we operate as a church is driven by that kind of heart. If you take a look at our missions strategy, you see that kind of heart both in what we do here in the U.S. and what we do literally around the world in missions. Just within the last year, we've bought dozens of sewing machines for young girls in India who were child prostitutes, but they were rescued from the streets. Now they're living in a center ran by one of our missions partners, and they're being loved and discipled, educated, and nourished back to health, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And in the process, they're being taught an in-demand, sustainable trade as seamstresses to keep them off the streets when they graduate from the program. Why? Because we serve forgotten people in forgotten places. And sometimes Jesus with skin on looks like putting sewing machines in the slums of India. Within the last year, we've resourced a national church planning movement of Russians reaching Russians all over Russia. Even into the far reaches of Siberia. Forgotten people in forgotten places. Our own staff has traveled back and forth to the second poorest nation in the southern hemisphere, Nicaragua, training remote village pastors who also lead schools and feeding programs for at-risk children in those villages. Our own missions teams have gone there and helped build those churches and build those schools. Our own missions teams have gone and showed the Nicaraguan nationals how to run Christian summer camps for their orphans on a very limited budget. And we've operated those camps for them for the last several years on site. But next summer, the Nicaraguan nationals will run their own camps for orphans for the very first time. The relational equity that we've earned over the last several years has allowed us to influence a decision by the Nicaraguan government to put a water well in a city that we have worked in, that we have a school in, that we have helped invest in a pastor there. We have ran camps for orphans in that city, but people there are dying of renal failure because of lack of access to clean drinking water. But the government made a decision, and because of a partner with a Canadian company and North Place Church, we were able to dig a well in that city. Why? Because nobody else would, and because we have a heart for forgotten people in forgotten places. We have helped to underwrite the salaries of several missionaries serving in places where they risk their lives to serve. They are serving in the unreached people groups of the world. They are in hard places, and some of them could likely become martyrs for their faith. Why? Because nobody else would go. And the people in those hard places have a right to hear about the love of Jesus Christ, just like we have heard so many times over and over and over again. These men and women serving in those places share our heart for forgotten people in forgotten places. Earlier this year, Pastor John and I went in under cover of night near the Pakistani border to train 600 village pastors who had originally come to Christ from a Hinduism background or an Islamic background. They had no access to formal training. I have never seen such hunger in my life. I have never seen so many miracles happen in one place. At the same time, I've never faced such spiritual opposition or have I ever been so close to going to jail or worse for my faith. Why would we go? Because we serve forgotten people in forgotten places. 
when we sit down with our world missions partners and look for people and places to invest in, we always ask those missions partners to give us the people or the projects that nobody else wants to take on. Everyone else has overlooked them because they are too, they don't have the flash or the appeal. They don't raise dollars back in the U.S. or maybe because those projects or those places are too risky or they are too expensive. We tell them, give us the ones that nobody else wants. Why? Because we serve forgotten people in forgotten places. These things are just a glimpse of our vision for forgotten people and forgotten places in the global footprint of our missions endeavor. And someone may ask, but what do you do at home? Well, we run an after-school program for children in our school district whose families are suffering from severe financial challenges. For many of these kids, the only meal they receive is the breakfast they get at school or the lunch that they get at school, but nothing else after that. And so our program of mentors and tutors not only provides them an opportunity to catch up or excel academically, it provides nourishment for them in the process. We throw Christmas parties for elementary age special needs students in our school district. And we put on a prom for all the high school age special needs students in our school district. Why? Because they weren't getting invited to the other prom. And the Holy Spirit whispered something to our heart that has been a driving force behind who we are as a church family. Invite the uninvited. And that reality and that passion is something we see in the heart of Jesus. The religious didn't invite the people to the table that Jesus invited to the table. The people that Jesus invited to the table offended the religious crowd, but Jesus went for the broken, the disenfranchised, the people on the table. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach the recovering of sight to the blind, to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the poor. He has sent me to the ones that society has overlooked. That's why we invite the uninvited because we serve forgotten people in forgotten places. This weekend, 21 small town pastors will congregate at North Place for the last meeting in a year-long cohort we call the Water Tower Cohort. They've been invested in, mentored, coached, prayed over, and resourced because we believe in them. We have a passion for rural places and the rural people where they serve. Why? Because they're viewed by too many as second-class people serving in second-class cities, serving an uneducated second-class crew of American people. But North Place doesn't buy that line, and we believe that God has called us to dignify the call of these men and women, to dignify the rural people that he's called these men and women to serve, and to dignify the zip codes and the places where they serve. Why? Because we have a heart for forgotten people and forgotten places. Over the last several years, we've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in operating a camp called Royal Family Camp that targets children in the foster system, many of which have been victims of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. The kids at our royal family camp have so captured the heart of our congregation that we knew we had to do more. A couple of years ago, we launched an orphan care ministry in our church under the direction of Crystal and Jeff Leakty, who are foster parents themselves. And since that launch, we currently have 22 families, either training or have already been certified as foster or adoptive parents. 30 children that are wards of the state have been in the homes of our North Place families. 
We've established a support system for the fostering families going through our orphan care program. There's a free clothing exchange, a weekly support group, and then ongoing fostering and adoptive training through the church that help these people become certified to foster or adopt. Some people that are in our church that are not in the position to foster or adopt, that have a heart for the orphan, have committed to be a part of our wraparound team, and they become an extended support structure for these families and these children. If you look around the building today and you see some of these lime green shirts uh, that talk about one God and, and one less orphan and one family, these green shirts are being worn by people who are fostering or adoptive parents in our program, and there are many, many of them. And while I would love to tell you, uh, some of you hear the number 22 and 30, and you think, well, that's not a significant amount. You don't have an idea. If you don't understand, you don't have an idea how far they've had to come, how much training they've had to come through in such a short period of time. But we believe God is speaking to this value of our congregation, enlarging this tent posts of this ministry in our church, and touching the hearts of people. Literally today, around the world, this weekend, around the church in America, it is Orphan Sunday or Orphan Weekend, where churches all over this country will focus on the plight of the orphan and challenge their church family to get involved. Tomorrow, Haley and I will have a dream in our own personal life come true. The first ever ministry event at Lonesome Dove Ranch will happen celebrating Orphan Sunday. It's a special event for the fostering and adoptive families and their children in the orphan care ministry of our church. It's a dream come true that these young children will be walking a place that was bought specifically for them. Why? Because we believe in forgotten people and forgotten places and God helping us to touch their lives is becoming a reality. I'm going to say more about your opportunity to connect with this issue of the plight of the orphan in just a moment. Over the last few moments, I have asked the rhetorical question several times, why? Why would we go there? Why would we do that? Why would we as a church do what we do the way we do it? Because it's a reflection of our culture for the forgotten people in forgotten places. We have a heart for the underdog. But please understand, just like all the other elements of the North Place culture, this concept did not originate with us. We believe that our God is the God of the underdog. If you search the scriptures, there is a theology of the underdog in the scripture. You cannot read the Bible and not see a God whose heart is turned towards the disenfranchised and the broken. The scriptures are crammed with biblical illustrations of God picking those who have been voted the least likely to succeed to do his bidding. I hope you men in the prison unit are listening to what I'm saying right now. God seems to choose the unlikely people from unlikely places who use the most unlikely methods to declare his glory. Take the nation of Israel, for instance. Less than 1% of the world's population lives within its borders. A simple thumbtack would cover it on a map, and yet its people own more than one-fifth of all Nobel Prizes and have continually been in the forefront of fields as diverse as military, economics, industry, science, culture, music, drama, comedy. The only feasible answer to those kind of successes in such a small band of people is God's hand of blessing upon their life. 
Israel was not chosen because they were special. They became special when God decided to choose them. And God, when he chooses people and decides to hang out with people, forgotten people from forgotten places, Jeremiah calls Israel a brand that has been plucked from the fire, thrown aside over and over again historically, and that drew the heart of God to them. And those of you today who feel you are a part of a forgotten people in a forgotten place, you need to know today that the heart of God is drawn to you. And when God is drawn to you and he decides to hang out with you, it is at that moment you become favored and special who would have given Abraham two cents for the promise of being the father of a great nation when he was 99 years old and his wife could no longer bear children but in unbelievable underdog fashion Sarah bore a child named Isaac whose name means child of laughter all according to the promise of God what odds would you have given Joseph that his dream of leadership would have become reality when he was sold into slavery in Egypt and spent years forgotten sitting in prison. But God turned the situation around and used Joseph to save Israel's sons and the entire nation from starvation and extinction. Who would have seen that a group of Hebrew slaves in Egypt could be led from bondage to freedom by a man so ungifted in leadership, so challenged in his speaking ability, challenged in his diplomacy, and plain common sense, a man such as Moses. Who would have given that scraggly bunch of slaves any chance of making it to the Red Sea, much less getting across to the other side? These kind of stories don't stop after Israel gets out of Egypt. Who would have thought that a young widow from a people who come from an enemy of God's people, a young widow from a foreign people living in a foreign country would be a factor in the royal lineage of Israel's greatest kings. Yet Ruth appears in the royal lineage leading up to David and eventually becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And who would have ever chosen David to be a king? Anyone with just a little common sense would know that the shepherd kid, the youngest child in the family, who sits in a pasture in daydreams while playing on his harp, singing to a bunch of sheep, would not make a good national leader. But God chose him. Because God is drawn to the forgotten, in forgotten places. Jeremiah should have never been called as a prophet. Prophets are supposed to be rugged men like Elijah who can call fire down from heaven at the drop of a hat. Jeremiah, if you read his writings, was practically an emotional basket case. He is known as the weeping prophet. And yet God chose him. Hosea's family life was in shambles. He married a prostitute. If you haven't read it, it's in there. Read it. And yet he could not convince the prostitute to stay at home. And yet God chose him. We could go through the entire Bible. And what emerges, if you listen to the scripture carefully, is there is a theology in the scripture of God's heart being bent toward the unqualified, the overlooked, the underdog. The thing continues into the New Testament. Just look at John the Baptist. 
He lacked tact. He dressed like a hippie. And he would have stuck out like a sore thumb at a church potluck. And think about the Apostle Peter. He denied Christ. He was a coward. And yet God trusted his shoulders to carry the leadership of the early church. And Paul? Paul would have been considered by any measure in the early days a terrorist. He was a murderer. His religious ideas were so extreme opposing Christ and opposing Christians that he hunted people out of their homes, drugged them out, and killed them for following Jesus Christ. And yet he had a divine encounter with Jesus and the grace of God powerfully changed his life. And this first century former terrorist not only became a man of God, he wrote the majority of the New Testament that is in your Bible. And think about Jesus. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus. We're on the backside of history now. We have a resurrected Savior. And we see Him in His splendor, His glory, and His majesty. And we're awaiting Him to return, wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood, holding a name that no man has ever held before, King of kings and Lord of lords. But we have the privilege of looking from the back half of history. But what if you'd have been on the other side of history? Isaiah describes Him this way. Isaiah 53 and 2 in the NIV says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The message paraphrase of that same verse says this. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look. It's important for you to understand that when God decided to change the world, He didn't send the King of Ages into the world with splendor and majesty. He sent Him here very unassuming. He came average, ordinary. He was an underdog. He could have been born into a family of great influence, wealth, and fame. That would have made more sense if God was trying to establish His kingdom on earth. And yet God chose for him to become the son of a carpenter who worked with his hands to provide for his family. He lived among the poor and the common people of his time. He was born into an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village in a carpentry shop until he was 30. For three years, he was an itinerant traveling preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that technically accompany greatness. And yet this very unassuming man changed the world. How? Here is the key. And the Apostle Paul describes it very well, talking about us. But it's also true of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we, he's talking about us as Christ followers, have this treasure in jars of clay to show the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In the flesh, Jesus was an underdog. But that flesh was wrapped around the divine, the very person of God. And the average became awesome. The underdog became an overcomer. Not because of what was on the outside, but because of who he really was, the literal divine son of God. In the same way, 
Paul says to you and I as Christ followers that we are merely earthen vessels. That all we are is fragile jars of clay on the outside. But on the inside of every Christ follower, the all-surpassing power of God that is not from us, from Him, is living on the inside of these fragile vessels. And when we, as these fragile earthen vessels, walk in the power of God that is on the inside of us, whether we find ourselves an orphan or a prisoner or bankrupt and poor or overlooked by other people, if the power of God is on the inside of us, the underdog becomes an overcomer, not based on their circumstances or their plight or their bank account or their title. They become what they are because the fingerprints of God are upon their life and the power of His Spirit, the all-surpassing power of His Spirit rests on the inside of them. There is a treasure in your earthen vessel. In the very beginning, I read another passage from Paul from the NIV But listen to it plainly spoken in the message paraphrase. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks, exploits, and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? I love the messages paraphrase of the heart of God for the underdog. Now, some of you may ask, You may be thinking at this very moment a very legitimate question. Pastor, if North Place is primarily focused on the forgotten and the underdog, what kind of message does that send to the affluent? I mean, what does that send to the people of substance and education who come from different places of society, people who don't identify with the underdog? Doesn't that focus disenfranchise them in some way? They need Jesus too. And I would say a hearty amen to that last statement. They need Jesus too. And in 25 years of walking alongside the poor and the wealthy and everybody in between, this is what I've learned. People of substance and means want to make a difference with their life and with their resources. They want to invest what they have been blessed with in places where it will be leveraged for the most good to make the greatest amount of impact. And I am convinced that as we as a church family pursue the forgotten and the broken like Jesus did, people from every walk of life will be drawn to that vision just like they were drawn to Jesus. Pastor Tommy Barnett told me years ago when I first started pastoring in my mid-twenties, he said to me, If you go after the ones nobody wants, God will send you the ones everybody wants. Because those people that have means and substance that everybody wants, they don't want to be wanted. They want their life to matter. They want their life to have significance. And when they can attach their resources and their time and their talent and treasure to a place that is making a difference where it is needed the most, that's where they want to be. And I'm convinced if North Place will stay engaged in serving forgotten people in forgotten places, God will stay engaged with us. That's His heart. To you men that are watching from the Hughes unit, we say an early Merry Christmas to you. 
And we say tonight that we believe in you. We're trusting that the Christ who came at Christmas comes into your life and empowers you to live for him, to be men and husbands and fathers and positive change agents in our society. At this moment, you're the underdog of underdogs in our society. And that puts you in the center of the radar of God. It puts you on the map for his attention. And he wants to make something of the rest of your life just like he did with every other underdog in Scripture. In Matthew 25, 37, Jesus was telling a story of how at the end of time men are going to be separated when the sheeps and the goats. And he describes the sheep as those who clothed him when he was naked. Those who visited him when he was in prison, who helped him when he was sick. And they said to him, verse 37, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We can't all come to visit you today, but there's a delegation of our church family who has. And just know there's a lot more people in Saxe, Texas today rooting that God turns your life around as you surrender it to him. And let me say one more time, Merry Christmas. And I want you to know we're praying for you. And I'm going to ask this church family one more time in an audible way of applause to share their love and and their prayers. Send them your way. Church family, would you join me one more time? To the North Place family, I want to give you two practical ways to respond to this word tonight. I'm going to challenge you to be financially involved in our Christmas compassion movement over the next few weeks. You heard me referencing the prisoners, the offenders is what they're called. This part of the service will be edited out of that broadcast. But we want to provide Christmas for them. Susan Nira attends our church and has a ministry called Disciples of Christ. She's been on the inside and had her life changed and has gone back in ministry repetitively for the last several years. And Susan leads a ministry of people from various churches, but a significant who come from our church. Susan and her husband attend our church. They're going to the Hughes unit and carrying this service to them on December the 5th. Well, they will distribute hygiene bags to 3,000 offenders. There's only room for 300 men in the chapel that will watch that service. I need you to pray that the right 300 men get into that building that God encourages them and lifts them up. There are about 50 volunteers, 30 that will happen to be cleared to go in on December the 5th. A large number of them, a significant portion, attend our church. In the bags that we want to provide for those 3,000 inmates, offenders, it's just a simple hygiene bag, but it's a significant, meaningful gift to them. Body wash, deodorant, Christmas cookies, instant coffee, hot chocolate, and one of the most important things to them, blank Christmas cards for them to send back to their families. The special needs party that will be happening here on December the 4th 
is a significant financial undertaking for our church. And we just committed this last week in all of our planning coming into the end of the year. We have an opportunity through our partnership with Young Life and Saxe, Rowlett, and Garland to provide a Christmas party and Christmas gifts for at-risk teenagers in the three cities of Saxe, Rowlett, and Garland. Our hearts are uh, heavy for them. And as we approach this remainder of the year, we just want to challenge you. As the Lord speaks to you, above and beyond what we normally do, these, these are projects that we've not taken on in the past besides the Christmas party for special needs kids. But the Lord said, we want you to, we want you to do this this year. We want you to help us pray about how you can be involved between now and the end of the year financially helping us make those things happen. Another thing I want you to do, I want you to prayerfully consider on this Orphan Sunday what God is saying to you about how to respond to the plight of the orphan. How are you going to engage the heart of God? And you say, Pastor, how do you know that's the heart of God for me? I believe it's the heart of God for His church. The Father is a father of adoption. He adopted all of us into His family. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure And faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's being Jesus with skin on. At the end of this service, when you walk out of the foyer, we're into the lobby area, we're going to be making a quick turnaround to come back and have a special time of baby dedication. But you'll also see... uh, a table in the front of our fountain area, our baptism area, that you can engage with some of our orphan care representatives about how you can be involved. They can help you walk through the process of training to foster or to adopt or to become a respite family that can help fostering families get a break on occasion. You have to be certified some degree to be able to do that. You can be a part of our wraparound team to help support these families that feel the call to bring these children into our home. As a way to transition from this moment to end this service, I want you to hear a song that's touched my heart. The season that Haley and I are in, we, a few years ago, I asked God, what, what do I do in this season of my life? You've given me specific direction, and you really said that part of my next half of my life would be connected to the orphan. And I didn't know if God, and Haley and I, we've talked, and we haven't ruled out the fact that we would adopt we just know at the moment it's not the season for our family. But we purchased Lonesome Dove Ranch and run it as a separate charity to serve the orphan and abused children. That's one of the ways we are engaging. But raising the rally and cry for the plight of young men and women in our communities. Do you realize this? There are thousands of children in foster care in the state of Texas. And there's about one church for every foster child in the state of Texas. Not one Christian, one church. If every church in the state of Texas could just convince one family to adopt one child, there would not be one foster child left in the entire state of Texas. If one church would have just adopted one child, then there wouldn't be a foster child left in the system in the state of Texas. A few months ago, I met with the head of the Child Protective Service and CPS she said, Pastor, you guys get bothered with us because you, can, you, you mess with the system. You complain about the system. And she said, our system is not perfect. Do you know why it's jacked up? She said, because these are not our kids. The reason we're having to deal with them is because the church doesn't. 
It's not the state's responsibility to care for the orphan. It's the church's responsibility to care for the orphan. And the only reason the state's caring for them is the church isn't doing its job. If the church would rise up and be a place that cares for forgotten people and forgotten places, we can make a difference one little bit at a time. Would you stand with me all over this place, please, tonight? Father, we are in your presence today as a faith family that has created a culture that cares about what you care about. Will you help us to continue to mold that value as a people? Keep us strong and resourced. Provide the resources for the visions you put in our heart to serve the ones that others have overlooked. Would you touch the heart of our people? Would you touch the heart of the fostering families that have signed up for a challenge? And had they known as hard that it was going to be this hard, they may not have signed up, but now they're in. Would you give them the grace today? Heavenly grace to be the heart of God, the children that you put into their life. I pray today for the men who will see this video, the men who will be a part of this experience with us today, that you will rescue another prisoner. You will write your name on their heart. God, whether it be special needs students in the next few weeks that we serve and their families and their educators, or whether it be some at-risk young men and women through Young Life, that we have the privilege of providing Christmas for, would you let those moments be encounters for them to know the only Father that will never fail them? And for that man or woman, God, that you spoke to earlier in this service, whose life is not at peace, would you allow them today to make the greatest decision they've ever made in their life and choose the Prince of Peace, the only one, the Lord Jesus, the only one who can settle the conflict, the storm, the heartache in their life. Will you reveal yourself to them today? In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team, would you come and make yourself available today? We have a few moments here tonight and to have some prayer right before we begin our dedication service, but I believe the Holy Spirit. I, I came into this moment not knowing how to do this to transition to the next service. And, and so I just believe before I pray a benediction and a blessing over this part and we, some of you go get your children, we begin to prepare to have the next part of the service. I, I just felt like God is doing something so special and deep. I can't just rush out of here without giving you an opportunity to agree with us in prayer. If you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you want to surrender your heart to Him, or maybe you're that one whose life is in conflict and you want to surrender to the Prince of Peace so that He can say, peace, be still. Or maybe He's calling you to do something today. You hear His voice and you're afraid. And you want us to pray with you as you engage in doing some hard things, but they are the heart of God. I just challenge you to listen to His voice. And if you need prayer today, let us join you in praying for miracles in your own life in this altar. Father, will you bless them and keep them? Will you make your face shine down upon them? Will you be gracious to them?
Will you turn your heart their direction today? And will you give them peace? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep the environment worshipful. These people will be here to serve you tonight. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.